Hello, and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. Our guest today is Nathan Lenahan. Nathan spent six years active duty in the Army, followed by eight years in the Army Reserve, uh, working with artillery, uh, including a couple tours to Iraq. And now, um, over the last few years since getting out, has worked in real estate and property management, and has since bought and scaled multiple of his own companies. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brock. Appreciate you uh, you both having me here and excited to share a little more. Uh, just to make a correction, it's the Army National Guard, not the Reserves. There's a big difference. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for I jumping did. in there. Yeah, I did not realize that there was a big difference. I thought the National Guard and the Reserves were the same thing. So actually, Reserves is federal. So it's just like that's the first force that would be uh, uh, an auxiliary for like the U.S. Army or U.S. Navy or whatever it may be. And then... Uh, National Guards are basically state militias that can be federalized, but there is a big difference because hmm. National Guards are typically fighting forces or like combat arm, uh, like artillery, infantry, tanks, like that kind of stuff. And reserves is typically uh, more like administrative functions or service and support functions. So uh, actually, there's a big difference, honestly. Wow. Well, that's how I know I'm going to like you is jumping in here and correcting me right off yeah. the jump. You're a guest on this podcast, okay? Yeah, settle I'll down. I'll keep my mouth shut. No. no, no, no. You're good. That's perfect. Um, yeah, we appreciate you having uh, taken some time to uh, to come on with us today. Do you want to give us uh, the, the five-minute quick and dirty of what led you to join the Army and then uh, what leads you here today? Yeah, I am. I am uh, one of the oldest of seven kids. I come from a military family. My dad's proudly served uh, in the Navy for 35 years, and I think was an incredible example. Uh, starting enlisted, getting commissioned eventually, and just like uh, that guy knows how to work his ass off, and and I love that. Um, and then I have a twin brother, and so he joined the Army right out of high school. And I also I thought was just a great example. But I can tell you the biggest catalyst was uh, me getting in a little bit of trouble in my first uh, semester of college. Uh, and 9-11 happening too. It just all came together in this glorious uh, kind of push to, to join the army. And so I did. And uh, you know, like probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Uh, so after that, I got to do six years active duty, which was incredible. Uh, I served two years in Iraq right when the war started. So 03, 04, and then 05, 06. Um, got promoted quickly. I was in artillery. So got to blow big you know, all kinds of crap up, which, you know, I absolutely loved. I love being in combat arms, you know, where it's just like a little bit more gritty and a little, uh, you know, very results oriented, very training oriented and, uh, and very leadership oriented. Uh, I saw some of the best leaders you could ever, ever see anywhere. And some of the worst ones as well. And I think they both really developed me as a leader. Um, then I left active duty, went into the national guard as I finished my bachelor's degree. I got to be an army leadership instructor for sergeants, um, you know, who are learning how to lead other soldiers. Um, and I really just loved, you know, like the time there as well. Uh, favorite highlight there was probably just getting activated for Hurricane Harvey and serving uh, down there in Houston and helping my fellow Texans. Uh, especially the crazy part on that was I just started a brand new job my first day and then I got activated uh, for it. And so I was like, hey, boss, I was supposed to start today, but uh, I just got a call. I got to head to head to Houston and uh and pack my bags and and i just remember him trying to figure out he's like trying to control the situation well how long is it gonna be you know like when are you gonna be back I'm like here's i just gotta go ahead and reset priorities for you my friend like here's how this goes like here's my priorities mission is number one and that'll be taken care of family's number two and then that, and that's what's gonna happen and then you're number three at best and he's like oh 
oh, you know what, you're totally right. We'll worry about it when you get back. And like, it was so nice to see him kind of readjust. Um, and, and so like Hurricane Harvey and that experience was my highlight in the National Guard, but absolutely love my time serving and I uh, can't wait to share more. Cool. Uh, will it incriminate you to tell us what kind of trouble you got in? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, look, I am an open book. And so uh, at 18, my first semester in college, I had come from a pretty conservative family too. And I was actually at a pretty conservative school. So it's easy to get in trouble. And I like the ladies guys. Um, and so I, I might've uh, been on the way to what I called an oops baby um, between that. And then like not going to enough classes, not getting good enough grades. Uh, it all was kind of coming to a culmination. And so uh, army seemed like a great, great path after that to, to pay for. And I was paying for everything too. And I couldn't quite figure out how to balance uh, working 40 plus hours a week and paying for college and having fun and getting in trouble. So uh, the army seemed like a good thing to maybe give me a little discipline and, uh, and help me pay for college and excuse me, get the leadership you know, experience I was kind of hoping for as well. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think that that is the story of so many people where it's like, my life is just like, maybe not going to shit totally, but like, there's all these really, really bad things that are happening. And then in hindsight, kind of like looking back on, because I have a very, very similar story. Um, but like looking back on that experience and it's like, you know, what will really just make everything better is if I just completely leave and just throw my life basically <laughs> up into somebody else's hands. And like, I just don't even have control of anything anymore. Like that will really, really, really help me. Um, set me straight. <laughs> right. It, it, so it does, and it does, which is funny in a weird way, but like, I, I think coming to, to grips with that logic doesn't really, doesn't compute. Yeah, it's funny because um, I resisted it pretty hard because I'd gotten a full ride for like Naval ROTC to Virginia Tech. And my family lived in Virginia and like the Norfolk area. That's where my dad was stationed. And just despite my parents, I was like, I can't do it, guys. Sorry, I'm going. I'm going to go to this school in Utah that's like nowhere close. You can't help me. I'm just doing my own thing. And, it, you know, it kind of uh, blew up my face in a wonderful way, but um, still blew up in my face. I, uh, I don't know how many people I like in the military have that just like you're saying, Brock, like that same exact thing. Like, Oh yeah, I tried school, like was not for me or I got into trouble or, and like, I remember my first day of college, right out of high school, I showed up to class and the teacher, the professor or whatever is like, um, okay, open your books to like page five. And I'm sitting there and everybody's pulling this book out. And I'm like, oh, to the person next to me, where, where did you get that book? And they're like, oh, it was like emailed to us. Like you have to go to the bookstore. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. I go to the other side and I'm like, how do you get into your email? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> so, We're not like, in Kansas anymore, Toto. Yeah. Like I was not prepared for college at all. It was like at that moment where I was kind of like, oh, I fucked up. Like I should not be here. That's funny. Mm-hmm. What, um, what do you, you said that you served with like some really incredible leaders, um, while you were active and, and deployed, what, I guess, what stands out to you about those? And like, I'm curious, the dynamic of maybe your life kind of not being in like a super great way you joining. And then are you still kind of like, are you still the troublemaker there? How do those leaders kind of play into that? And I guess, what's the, the learning there? 
I'm honestly like a, a mostly a rule follower. Like I'm a pretty good kid. And when I get in trouble, it's, I mean, it was like it, everything you expect, you know, girls mostly um, not doing what you're supposed to do in class, but in the army, my mouth got me in trouble most of the time because I'm a bit of a, like, I have a bit of uh, you know, a little sarcasm. I'm a little lippy. And I uh, know I'm, if I'm really honest, like I got in and I kind of looked, you know, do boot camp. You're looking to the left and right. I'm like, this, is this my competition? Cause Cause right. I didn't know I was like very good at anything until I got here and you're like, okay, like I, I might be pretty good at this. And so, um, but my favorite leader, the first experience I ever had with him is uh, he showed up, he joined our unit in Iraq. So I'd never met him before. And my first experience was he's this Puerto Rican guy and he shows up and he drops his, his bags in my hands. Like I'm a freaking bellhop or something. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, where's my Puerto Ricans at? And just leaves me there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, I've never experienced this before. This is a little, a little different. Um, and he was just like, I think he had this, uh, there's this quote that says like, nobody cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And, uh, and I think no matter how much he was like cussing me out or, or like trying to make me better, I always wanted to be better. And I always knew that he cared. And that guy still, he texts me every Christmas, every few holidays say, Hey brother, how's it going? How are you doing? Think about you or whatever. Um, and he's also like, just cussed me out to oblivion in a way that, you know, it's very hard to do outside the military, but, uh, no, I didn't cause too much trouble. Um, as a private, I was pretty lippy and that really caught me up. But as you get higher, then you can, you can have that mouth a little bit more and be appreciated for it. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, so- uh, that early on, you're just like shooting up the the flares on like, Hey, I, I obviously need more discipline here. (laughs) (laughs) Pay attention to me. Like (laughs) I really, I need bigger pecs to do them push ups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just lots of groups, great groups. Uh, and in general, like the, I mean, that's one of the things I love most about the army is just like, it is so diverse. Um, but he was never afraid to be like, where's my Puerto Ricans at? Not Hispanic Puerto Ricans. That's what, that's what I want to know my Island in the, and I always love that about him. A lot of pride. I think one of the things that stands out to me about the military and like talking to people after they've gotten out is you pointed out like, oh, this is my competition. And, you know, I think that the rest of the country has this idea about the U.S. military. Like, you know, they're just like this elite fighting force. Like everybody immediately is like, everybody is a Navy SEAL. Like there's just like everybody's special forces, like in totally good shape and just like super overachievers and like, that's not the case at no. all. And like, it is not hard to stand out in like a positive way, in a negative way too, but in a positive way, um, if you just, you know, you know, you got the right uniform on, you show up on time, like just doing the basic things, like you can really set yourself apart. And I think that the problem with that, that that's good, but it leads the elite performers to get out. And a lot of the the longevity of people's military careers, I think, is drastically lowering over time. And I think in the next 10 years, we'll probably be significantly like, I don't know what the average tenure of people in is, but I'm guessing it's getting lower over time because it's those people that are elite and do really well should just get out. Yeah, it's, it's really hard um, because everyone's afraid to say things like that, I think, where we love to think that our military is our best and brightest and there is a portion of that, but on average it is like, I think the most common thread is like people do want to be here. They want an opportunity. 
and they're willing to give up something, you know, so that's a little bit of freedom or a little bit of choice or whatever to, to get something out of it and hopefully serve the country. And I found that to be very true, but like the best and brightest on every side of you is not the case, which, you know, like it sucks to say, but there's incredible people in every direction. It's just, you know, it does not take a lot to stand out. Is that, um, are, are we going to put you in that best and brightest, brightest category? Is that why you got out or what, I guess, what well, eventually led to you getting out? Uh, honestly, I love the military and, um, the biggest catalyst for it was I always wanted to be an officer. And so I came in the listed. I really, really, really wanted to be an officer. My father did it. It was, you know, a big goal of mine. And actually when I went through the process and got the physical and all that stuff, all the things that were wrong with me from serving in Iraq and doing things, you know, kind of popped up and life just got really difficult at that point where I was like, okay, it's not worth it anymore. I'm just going to go out and maybe I'll figure out a different way to do this, but, uh, I'm getting my degree one way or the other. And so, uh, I would never tag myself the best and brightest, but like, I was pretty good at what I did and, uh, and I wasn't going to let the army or anything else get in the way of the goals I had. And so I did. What were those goals uh, other than just the degree or was it, was it just that? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a couple of big ones. So, you know, I, I knew I wanted to get an MBA at one point. I just remember coming back from Iraq the first time, like 2004, you know, I'm a, I'm a private first class or like a specialist, like E4. And I read about this thing called an MBA, Masters in Business Administration. They make on average 120 grand. I'm like, that's all I got to do. I just got to do that. 120 yeah. grand. I made yeah, it, man. Yeah. You know, like, you know, to me, I'm making like 700 bucks a paycheck at that point with a family of three. And I'm like, man, 120 grand can't even fathom that, that money. And so, uh, so I wanted an MBA. I was really, really into real estate. And so, uh, you know, like the love letters I sent home to my wife just show how big a nerd I am, uh, you know, because they'd be like, oh, babe, I love you so much. Send me this in the uh, in the care package. Oh, also, if we just bought the fourplex that we live in right now and we rented out the other three units, we could cash flow this much a month. And then if we cash flow that much a month, we just save it all. And then we could buy another one in like eight months. And then the second year, we buy two. And so I'm like, man, I'm a major nerd. And uh, I actually came across like those love letters or whatever recently. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not not romantic enough for you. <laughs> Thank you for keeping me around. It was it's pretty nice. So that's um, like just building a real estate portfolio, um, getting that MBA, and uh, and I really wanted to do my own business one day. You know, so those are things that I knew were going to be out there. And 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 at one point, I was okay with doing the business after I retired um, from the army. And the real estate, I figured I'd just do along the way. You know, I'd buy one or two at each place I was stationed, and just keep building on that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ultimately that's, that didn't happen. Uh, I got out after six years and, and went straight to, uh, finish my degree, but I have hit every one of those goals, um, along the way. That's awesome. It's, that sounds like Brock, uh, the, like being a big nerd thing. We, I remember when Brock was like first getting into finance, we were on the ship together and he's like, Oh, I'm missing this quarterly call. So I can, you know, hear what kind of dividends or return. He's like using all this like finance terms. And I'm like, go off, dude, like do your thing. Uh, that's so funny. Well, I can tell you, I just, uh, I would consider, I would consider myself a high performer when I was in the army. And, you know, so I left as an E6 after four years or, you know, after six years, but, um, and I can tell you leaving the army and in kind of like climbing that ladder quickly, having a lot of success, a lot of responsibility, the best job I could find out, uh, after was $11 an hour at sprint and doing customer service. And I gotta tell you, like, you want to, you want to, in, uh, kind of endure something very sobering or, you know, get your ego check. That's a great way to do it. Especially when you have a family at that point, I had, I had three kids and I just had my third. And so, uh, you know, very, very tough time for me. And I remember 
you know, I had gone to like a VA or something. I was like thinking I had these thoughts. I'm like, Hey, I was one of the lucky ones. Like I never got blown up. I, I have bad hearing loss. That's about it. Like I'll take that all day, every day. Um, and I was really struggling in college. I really hated life. I was kind of like that, like weird disgruntled veteran in class, uh, older than all the students and stuff, you know? Um, and, and I just remember like starting to have bad thoughts. Like I didn't have friends. I didn't have that college experience that people talk about. And I'd gone to like a, a VA center and, and like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, I'm having bad. I'm, I'm not having good thoughts. Like I, this is a bad path and I want to talk to someone. I just remember they gave me a pamphlet and like sent me on my way. And, uh, and you wonder like, why, why do bad things happen? And, you know, like stuff like that is why bad things happen. Right. Um, but I could tell you, uh, what I realized I was missing the most was the friends. It was the community. And so I could just tell you one day I was like walking across campus. I'm having like this pity party for Nate and, uh, and I'm like, you know what? No one cares, man. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares about your little pity party here. There's only one person that's going to change this and it's you. So are you going to change it or not? And, uh, and I literally stopped like mid step, uh, uh, turned my butt around and, uh, told myself I was going to change it. And, uh, what I did was I actually walked over to the football team and decided, even though I've never played football in my life, uh, I'm going to walk onto our division one top 25 football team and, uh, and, and start playing. And so I managed to talk my way through like three gatekeepers, uh, got my way into the, one of the coaches office and basically realized because uh, I started college before 9-11, it's a, it's a taking clock. You have six years. So I had no eligibility. So that's the real reason I couldn't play division one football. Just so you know, I had nothing to do with talent or anything like that. Uh, but you would have um, done great. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I could have been like third walk on unpreferred for sure. Um, but the, I just remember, I'm like, Hey, okay, I got it. I can't play. Is there anything I can do? I just need to be a part of team. I need to be part of something here. I need that community. Um, or like, it's probably not going to go well. And, and I'm like, I'll volunteer, I'll do anything. And so the coach actually walked me down to the director of equipment and, uh, and they have student managers who, who basically run all the practices. They run the sidelines, they run the locker room, they travel for every game. They are on full scholarship and they get stipends. And I walked down there and I interviewed on the spot with the director of equipment, whose son just happened to be a U.S. Marine in Afghanistan at the time. Uh, and man, I'll tell you what, like I got the job, got the scholarship, I got the friends, I got uh, I got everything I was looking for. Uh, and it all came down to just like, well, shit, like, did you try or did you not? Because no one else is going to fix this for you. And uh, and I had had the audacity to go find a job that I didn't even know exist. And, and, and I made it happen, which was pretty cool. And I think that act of doing was the biggest thing after the mindset. You know, it's really easy to get like poor me as a veteran, I think, um, which that's so, I, I, I don't like that part. Um, but it's very, very easy to think about how bad you have it and, you know, the lack of resources and, you know, it's, I, I feel like I'm going back to like my teenage years, like nobody understands me, you know, like <laughs> I, I've like yeah. done all these things and now I'm in, I'm like doing group work with these 18 year old kids that literally have done nothing. And that's, that's a very, very difficult thing to overcome. And, um, I, I will say it's probably not as simple as just like, that's a very inspiring way to just be like, oh, I just like decided to not be that way. Um, but I, I think more people need to think about that and realize that it isn't, um, it can be a pity party if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to, if you don't want it to. Absolutely. So uh, you were, 
Yep, go ahead, Brock. No, you're fine. Go. So, so you you get this scholarship, you finish out school, I'm assuming. And yep. then what what was your first move right out of college? Yeah, so I went to college in Utah and uh, I got into an operations leadership development program with Lockheed Martin. So huge defense, largest defense contractor in the world, super sexy name. And I was just like, man, I have made it. I, man, I am like, I'm the shit, you know? And, uh, and it was, it's an incredible company. I went there and I, part of the rotation is two years. You do one, um, you do four rotations of six months, you know, different disciplines. So like supply chain or quality or operations and then whatever. So you do, I did a year in New Jersey, which hated New Jersey, didn't want to stay there. Um, and then I was just trying to get to Texas or Colorado. And so we ended up in Fort Worth, Texas, where they built the F-35 stealth fighter jet, which was super cool. Um, and I got to be a part of that, you know, and the building, I was doing facility management for them there. So I got to run the building that run, it's like literally over a mile long, just this one building. And it's just like the, the main assembly line for the F-35. And so that was pretty inspiring. But what I learned very quickly is regardless of what the, uh, the name on the building, uh, you work for the U.S. government, and I was not really interested in that anymore. Like, I like to move too fast. I like to break things. I like to try things. I want to not be micromanaged. Um, and and so uh, I still did five years with Lockheed. They paid for my MBA, uh, put me through that leadership program, put me through another leadership program. And so uh, incredibly grateful for the time there. But also, I learned what I didn't want very, very quickly, which was also like just as incredible, right? So uh yeah, so I went there, and uh, honestly, the last six months or so, I uh, I moved to a new job where I worked midnight shift. Um, essentially, I worked from four p.m. till three a.m. And this is this is going to be like me kind of knowing I'm good at stuff or decent at stuff. And I told the manager when I, they hired me, I'm like, "Here's going to be the problem: is all I want is night shift because I want to work on my own business during the day, and I'm going to be." this is going to sound cocky and I really don't mean to be cocky. I'm like, but you're going to like me enough that you're going to want to bring me off night shift. I'm like, I'm telling you, that's probably what's going to happen. And I would bet I don't make six months. And sure enough, like went over there, just did not much more than the bare minimum. And literally, you know, they tried to, they pulled me to the day. And, um, and so like, as soon as they pulled me the day, I made it maybe a month and then I quit because I'd been working my job from 7 a.m. till 3.30 p.m., I'd be working on my property management company and doing flips. And so uh, that's what I really wanted to do. And so ultimately, like they did bring me to the day shift and I quit a month later and went full time in my first business. So like that was a pretty exciting thing. But I am incredibly grateful for Lockheed Martin. It's a great place for a lot of people and they love their veterans, but it was a really poor fit for me. So you're sleeping like three hours a night? Oh, it was terrible, man. Like I, I am, I am very surprised I didn't die, uh, driving home. I just remember there's on, uh, I worked in Grand Prairie. So like kind of like the Dallas side of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So Dallas is on the East side, Fort Worth on the West side. So I drive about 35 miles home and there's just one curve on I-20 that's just like a really, it's a very, uh, kind of hard curve. Uh, and I just remember multiple times falling asleep in that curve and like ending up two or three lanes over. And, uh, so I wouldn't suggest anyone doing that, but like it shows, it demonstrates like you have to sacrifice for the things you want. And I was willing to sacrifice. You can do anything for six months to a year. And I did it for about six months and and then, uh, I had it. And so I got to jump in full time. Wow. I think that you went over something that's extremely underrated is looking at opportunities and experiences you have as a way to say, I, I now know that that's not what I want to do. 
Um, the my time in the Navy was exactly that. Like I spent four years figuring out that that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. But that's and that sounds like cynical and whatever, kind of sarcastic. But it, it is really true too. And sometimes maybe if you don't know what you want to be doing, eliminating the things that you like opportunities that you have now kind of maybe get you closer to like in your case like starting your own your own company or business was that something that you had considered or had been on your mind for some time or did that just kind of spring forward from from nothing yeah it definitely had been on my mind uh again like the entrepreneurial bug had kind of hit me the uh i had done my mba and i can tell you again like I'm not that great a student. I'm, I love learning. I absolutely love learning, but I'm not a great student. And, and my MBA, so I went to University of Texas MBA. I shouldn't have got in there either. Like my test scores aren't good enough for that. You know, like I'm a much better alum than I am a, <laughs> an actual student. So, um, but like most of my motivation was making sure I didn't screw my group mates up because you do so much group work for your MBA. And, you know, I never want them to get less than an A or whatever they wanted. Um, but I would read, like, I'd read the case studies ahead of time. Like I'd read all, like anything that was like real world knowledge. I always wanted to, to pull in, but, um, most of my MBA I spent at, uh, in class looking for businesses to buy, like reviewing the financials, would this be a good buy and, um, or starting my own business, you know, and like just going back and forth between that. So, uh, very much had been part of it. And then the, the last catalyst was, uh, one of my, uh, one of my best soldiers and, and very good friend. Uh, he, his wife is best friends with another guy's wife. And he was starting kind of like a little real estate, wanting to do a real estate venture or, uh, start a new business. And so he introduced us and we've been close friends ever since. Like we built that business together. We went and worked at another company together. We bought the apartment complex together. We launched this business together and we just bought another business together. So like, it's incredible when you find someone that can match your pace and like passion and, and, uh, and and discipline, I guess, to actually, you know, do what you want to and go after goals. So yes, uh, entrepreneurial very much. So just figuring out how to do it was the hardest part. Like how do you actually take this risk, especially when you have four kids and turns out kids like eating, you know, every day, like a few times, ideally a day. So can't just tie them up out back and do uh, once a a week. I can vouch for that. That that is very true. They do prefer (laughs) to eat more than once a day. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What? So obviously you have this, you, you were talking about your goals and, and even in the army, you, you had the goal of, of an MBA and if you have an MBA on average, they make $120,000 a year. Was the money, the main driving force for starting this business? Was it a status thing? Is it just, you, you had a feeling you were going to love it. I mean, what, what is it that like really motivated you to, to move on that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, I think over time, what I've learned about myself at least is uh, I have more of an internal scorecard. Uh, like I don't really care as much about what other people are doing. There's literally one or two people maybe in my life that every other year or something, I'm like, I wonder how they're doing. Let me see. Let me compare myself to them. And that's about it. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I certainly have my moments of ego and everything just like everyone else, but mostly it's just like, how do I have more freedom? So like, that's an internal, that's not compared to anybody else. How do I have more freedom? Uh, how do, how do you get freedom? Well, freedom usually comes through money. So money is certainly an aspect that matters. Um, and like, how do you make an impact? Like, I want to do something that I enjoy that I'm passionate about that I could share with others. And so I would tell you, for instance, you know, I, I, uh, I mentor on this platform called Betterati. And I'm about to hit my hundredth call here soon, uh, which means at least a hundred hours. 
and my like 98% of calls are all about real estate. And so now I know something, I've gotten some good enough about, at something that I can help others do that. And I feel like enough people help me along the way. I just want to be able to give back. So if I was still working at, let's say Lockheed Martin, working on manufacturing of F-35, like, do I want to be mentoring on that? Like, is that how I want to give back? It's not, it's not at all. Like I have no interest in that. And so, um, so I think there's like really clear purpose kind of motivation and direction of, of like how I think through these things and how do I give back? Well, I want to be giving back on things that I enjoy as well. Um, and that I actually am very good at. And so that's how I kind of came to, um, that, and I want to, I did want to imprint something. I wanted my name on something and build my own brand and see if I could do it. You know, it, it is really easy to to be just average in the military. Like you will just coast for 20 years if you want to. Um, but creating that that scorecard and you can really excel uh, if you want to. Um, what uh, talk a little bit about Veterati. We we've talked a little bit offline about it and I've looked at it a little bit. Uh, do you want to tell us about that and just kind of give them a little bit of a plug? Yeah, Veterati uh, uh, is an incredible platform where you basically just hop on. Um, it's a uh, see Daniel Daniel Rao and Diana. Um, I forget her last name, but uh, oh, Sai Diana Diana Sai. They created it. Uh, they're previous veterans as well, and basically you go on and you're just helping transition veterans. And so you put a kind of a profile of what you're willing to help with or talk about as a mentor. And, and then you just connect your calendar and say like, I'm willing to do four calls a month or, or whatever. And it literally automates everything else. So it'll text you saying, hey, Brock is interested in talking to you Friday at 5 p.m. Do you want to do this? And it, you say yes. And then it, uh, it sets it up for you. And then it literally calls. This is my favorite part because it never wastes your time. Kind of like I wasted your time today. Of uh, It always calls the mentee first. And if they don't pick up, they don't call you. Mm -hmm. So like it calls the mentee and uh, otherwise they'll tell you, Hey, your mentee didn't pick up. Um, looks like we're going to give them one more shot. And if they don't pick up next time, you don't need to wait, worry about this or be waiting around or wondering anything. So like to give it a couple of shots. So like, I think it's such a great platform respecting mentors time. And, uh, and then they send like kind of a nasty email to the mentee saying, yo, you, you just wasted this person's time. Uh, even though you committed to doing this, like what's up, give us a reason why, like it kind of makes you feel guilty. Um, so wow. I love the platform. I, I think it's an incredible tool for people that are transitioning. And I think anyone that's, especially if you're a veteran and you've been out in, in the civilian world at all, you have something to offer to, 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 uh, tra uh, transitioning veterans, you know? And so I think people get caught up with like, Oh, I'm, you know, I only got two years. Do I, am I ready to be a mentor? It's like, are you just, are you willing to share your experience so far? That's it. That's all it is. Like, and uh, if you have any recommendations, give it to him. But there's like a guy, uh, me and him talked recently and he's at Zillow. Zillow is a cool company. It's a tech company. People want to know about that. And he's only got like, he's been in the National Guard for a few years and that's it, you know? And so he's like a young guy, but he, he was surprised at how much value he's been able to offer. Yeah, I think even just going through the process of exiting is more than the person who's in now their leadership has done. So just having gone through of like the process of getting your DD-214, yes, I've like checked into the, the local VA and like enrolled in the healthcare here or like whatever kind of benefits you've used. Just like in the military, you're, you're an expert on it just by having done it once because there's the way that it says to do it on paper and then there's the way to actually do it. And yep. usually those are, 
<laughs> there's a wide disparity in between the two. Absolutely. Yeah, I've actually signed up to be a mentor on that platform as well. So I'm eager to see and uh, try and help out with that. So that's really cool. I love that. Yeah, I've never, I've never even heard of the platform, but that, that sounds, um, it sounds really cool to do. So I, I personally work in sales. I've been doing that for about three years now. And they, about a year and a half ago, they started doing this mentorship program where essentially you're you're training new guys and they, they picked a handful of people to do it. And I was one of the salesmen that they picked to be a quote unquote mentor. And since the start of that program, I've trained, I've mentored two people and you're like their mentor for a year. And one thing Hmm. I've, I've told, I've told Brock on several occasions is that's kind of a, I've discovered that that's a passion that I have that I didn't even know was like taking somebody under your wing, showing them and teaching them how to become good at something or sharing your experiences and then seeing them become successful and, you know, whether it's making more money than they ever thought that they could or, or whatever, that that's a very, very rewarding thing. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to check that platform out because like I said, that's, that's a, a passion. I didn't know that I had, but over the past year and a half, I've loved that for sure. Yeah, sales, sales is such a great, um, skill set too, to share and, and help others learn. And so oh, yeah. it's cool too. They, like if you help someone and they go get, they actually get the job or whatever, like you get like a little badge showing you actually help people get jobs and people put you on their advisory board. It's an awesome platform. I can't uh, speak enough. And then the, uh, Daniel Rao, especially he is super open to talking to veterans and people that use the platform. He's the CEO. Uh, and so like, I've, I've just been blown away. Like me and him have met in real life from just from that interaction and stuff. So I thought, I thought that was super cool as well. Maybe we'll need to see if we can get him on the pod. Yeah. You should, you should totally try. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so you get your MBA, you start doing some things you had mentioned before we started recording that you actually worked at WeWork for a little while. I would love to hear about your experience working there. Um, and any commentary on like the, the blow up that you might have? Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I thought WeWork was the un, the most unbelievable career experience I've ever had. And I mean that in a completely positive way. It, it was, uh, I joined not really knowing what it was. I don't think anyone really knew what it was, um, except for, you know, like a small core in, in, in the actual company at the time. But uh, I joined as the head of operations for the Southern US. I probably never should have got that job based on uh, what I knew, like, I just remember one of my last interviews, um, I was very particular about trying to figure out, hey, what is what is the next interview looking for if this one goes well? And I just remember the last one I had gotten out of them. Everyone's always looking for culture to see if, if you're going to be an addition to that piece. So I get that. But he's, uh, it was the global head of operations. And he was just like, all he's looking for is P&L management. And I'm like, well, technically, I never even managed a P&L. So like, I had my own business and like maybe a little bit. And so... Uh, I made my own PL and brought it into the interview because I was like, this is what he's got to check off. I'm going to check this bad boy off. I am getting this job. Um, and <laughs> so uh, he had been a senior executive at like uh, um, Starwood Capital before that. And, and he's like, damn, man, I've been doing this for like 25 years. I've never had anyone bring a PL into interview. He's like, I'm blown away. This is awesome. Uh, I love it. And I was actually supposed to have one more interview with one of the C-suite. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and cancel that. Uh, and, uh, and I think we can figure something out here. And so I got the job from the time I applied to the time I started was like seven days. 
And man, it was just like everything you would think it is. Um, you know, I got promoted probably every nine months or so from that point on. And I think that was really, really key. But we started with, shoot, my team had like three people when I started. Um, and when I left three years later, it was probably uh, 350-ish, um, 400, wow. I, you know, like, and uh, those numbers are a little skewed based on like who directly reports in and then like geographically who I'm responsible for, even if it's indirect and like dotted line versus all, you know, all that crap. But, um, you know, I end up being like the regional GM for all the Mountain West, so like Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Texas. Um, and I launched, I don't know, like 13, 14 different cities, markets, uh, you know, 5 million to about 220 million run rate and revenue over three years. So just, it felt like I got to do a startup within a startup and the culture was incredible. The people were incredible. Uh, did I ever spend time with Adam Newman? That's usually the question. Like, tell me about Adam, you know, what, what's, what's your experience there? And like, you know, I spent a few times with him uh, one-on-one. I don't think I ever spent time with him one-on-one, honestly, he's always with like other GMs uh, like, eh, or with my boss. And so uh, but my favorite Adam quote was, uh, I live in the DFW area and WeWork's uh, focus was always in the central business district. So they went into a city very much like New York and they're like, downtown, baby, I want to be downtown, like right in the mix of stuff. And that's what they want. And so I was like, yeah, that doesn't work in Dallas and, and uh, seven and a half million people in Dallas. And just to give you an idea, 10,000 people of that seven and a half million live in downtown Dallas. So like, there's no, there's no density there, nothing. (laughs) Right. And so I was pushing, um, like our, our GM at the time was, he was based out of New York and he was incredible, but I was pushing to go to Plano, which is like, it's kind of North Dallas. It's the suburbs a bit for sure. But like, that's where all the professionals and all the entrepreneurs and a lot of them are, were, were based out of. And so he comes down and he's like touring real estate with, uh, with my GM and everything. And we're like, Plano, Plano, Plano. He's like, what? Where the F is Pluto? Like, what is this you're talking about? And so that's like my favorite Adam Newman quote is, uh, you know, just being a part of that. But I will tell you, here's my best experience, um, military related. I got I got activated for Hurricane Harvey the very first day I got promoted to GM uh, of Texas. And so the day I was supposed to take over, I had just gotten a new boss, all these things. I got um, activated for Hurricane Harvey. And I told you about him trying to like control the situation for a minute. Like, when are you going to be back and all this stuff? And I gave him my priorities, like, Hey, priorities, mission first, then family, then work. Um, and the best part of that was like, I've never been recognized for just kind of being me. And, and the best part of this was I went away for that. Um, came back. I think, I think it was gone like three weeks, something like that. Uh, so I came back and like, they were really excited about that experience. And so, and, and then I took my, uh, we created a little trip for WeWork employees and we actually, I took like 30 people down to Houston and we actually gave back and like just did community service, um, which was really, really cool. And so after that, they invited me and my whole family up to New York city to actually speak in front of the whole company on an all company meeting, right. In between Adam Newman and Miguel, like the two co-founders. And so that was the most like intimate experience I got was I got to speak to the whole company, talk about hurricane Harvey, um, tell some fat jokes and, you know, just share like my, my experience there. And we just got recognized for being me. And it was the most incredible experience ever. Um, like we showed up at the hotel and there was gifts. They found out the ages of my kids. They had left gifts there, handwritten notes. Um, you know, they like took us to a Broadway plays, like just like showed us the uh, you know, New York city, the, the best way. And I, um, you know, always be grateful for that. So was there excess and craziness and all that stuff? Of course there was, there's, was, there's was all kinds of craziness, but the further away you are from New York, the less you kind of 
experienced it, I think a little bit and felt it. Um, and we are very, very goal oriented on getting to cash flow positive, which was supposed to happen. You know, like even when I was there years ago, it was planned for 2021 for Texas, you know, and that was, that was what we were planning on. So that's my quick and dirty on, on WeWork. So you, was you, go go ahead. Ahead. so you were working on your, your own personal business and working for WeWork at the same time? Kind of. Uh, we had already received uh, multiple offers to buy our company. And so we had gone under contract and I had two partners. And so they, I kind of got pulled into WeWork first and they, they kind of closed out the business um, as it was sold and wrapped that up. And then they actually both joined me at WeWork eventually. Oh, cool. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. As, so uh, somebody that. That was, yep. as somebody that was in charge of that large of a section, what was your personal strategy in carrying out the, the company's mission? And maybe what were your big takeaways from, um, I, I guess, implementing at that large of a scale? Like a lot of us learned along the way. Uh, but the, you know, at the end of the day, like, connecting with your people, you know, so like giving them clarity is one of the most important things you can do. You can hear like, you hear all the time, Hey, you gotta be, you gotta communicate effectively. Well, what does that even mean? What, what does that, what does that mean? Like, how do you know you're communicating effectively? And so here's a couple of ways that I, I, I tested that and tried to assess whether we were being successful or not. So the last year I was there, we, I wanted one goal. I wanted one goal that everybody knew about and they knew their contribution to it. And so uh, someone had like thrown out an idea of like, Hey, do a hashtag, make it so simple. It could be a hashtag. And we did, it was 86% hashtag 86%. And, uh, and all that meant was we want 86% physical occupancy average across all our buildings in Texas. Um, well, and mountain West. So I had two different regions, mountain West and Texas, but that was it. And I could tell you, um, you know, the feedback I got from, from both my team and, and others was, Hey, that was the most consistent message we'd seen anywhere else, you know? And so, uh, I remember this, there's this lady, she's a leader in Seattle and she had reached out and she had actually checked in with different, she was trying to figure out how to set up her own kind of strategy and, and, um, and communication for and goals for her team. So she reached out to all these regions, trying to figure out who said the most consistent thing about their, their region and, and mine, uh, or, you know, our Texas mountain West region by far was the most consistent. They knew what the goal was and they knew how they contributed to it. And I think that's the most important thing is how do you give them enough information that they can run and make great decisions, even if we're not there? You know, and I think at the end of the day, you have that North Star. So that was our North Star, 86% um, and, and helping them. And then like, of course, like I was always visiting, I was always traveling. Um, and then I was making sure that our leaders, anyone I was hiring understood the culture in a way that they could hire more people that would embody it. Um, and, and, and add to it. So you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just really, really clear, consistent communication and then a ton of transparency. So I did, uh, I did town halls in every city, uh, quarterly and I am a no ego, like no bullshit. Like you ask the question, if I can legally answer it, I will. And I'm going to tell you the no bullshit answer, even if that means your job could be at risk. I, I'm just going to like, that's how it's going to be. And, uh, and so like, that's a transparency I'm looking to build in my own companies. You know, as a quick example, I'm literally writing up a job description, like a job posting. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, why the hell don't job postings have what the interview process is going to be, salary ranges, you know, like 
what what are the actual goals of the crap you're going to do here? Like, hey, I'm I need you to take us from one to two million dollars in revenue this next year. That's that's the goal. Like, they should know that in the job description. I think uh, job posting. So, like, that's how transparent we're trying to get to. Um, so that's it. I'm pretty simple, like very transparent, um, answer any questions and then empower, empower, empower for people to make decisions and failures and mistakes along the way. As long as they learn from it and don't make the same mistake over and over and over again, man, I'm a happy guy. Why do you think that job postings and the, the hiring process right now is not that way? People are afraid, man. Like they, like employers have had the upper hand for so long. And right now it is an employee market. It is like, I saw this uh, this headline and I thought it was perfect. It said the talent, the war for talent's over. The talent has won, and and uh, and I just loved that. But because like people haven't had to do it, why would they? You know, like why would they? You know, and so you know, in Colorado, for instance, you have to show salary ranges, so people actually avoid posting jobs in Colorado. Companies avoid posting jobs in Colorado. They'll say remote, except for Colorado, just so they don't have to post salary ranges. Uh, you know, so it just it's crazy on people, but I can tell you if you're willing to do it, man, you're going to win. Like, again, it's kind of like, this is my competition. You know, you're doing it the same way you did 30 years ago. Like I don't even have to pay more. I'll just be transparent. I'll empower my people. And we also believe in this thing called a tour of duty, which as a military, we know very well, right? There's this great book from Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn. It's called the Alliance between employers and employees. And, uh, and it talks about tours of duty and it just, it spoke to me of like, Hey, 18 to 24 months, this is what we're expecting you to do. Here's what you get out of it. Here's what we get out of it. And, um, and so that's basically what we're doing. Cause I want to take the job posting and basically say, when they start, you knew exactly what you're getting into day one. If we're 60 days in and you're not getting anywhere and you're not doing what you're supposed to, like, it's an easy conversation for me to say like, Hey, this isn't working out. Yeah. Or it is, well, it's going great. Well, and it's easy when that's all like laid out there, like you said, you can, you're directly measurable, like to the, the higher ups, like as from the employee perspective, but then you also know where you are. Like if you're making progress, like, Hey, this was told to me on day one, my sole objective is to get to this. And if I'm, if we're going the other direction, you should know right away, like a really, the feedback loop there is really, really short. Um, not the exact same example, but I'm reminded of, um, I'm, I don't know if you've read the book Made in America by Sam Walton, where he talks about the, um, it's the story of how Walmart came to be. And he talks about like how he incentivized his employees and it was, he gave them all like stock in the company. So he aligned the long-term objectives of the company with like their individual mission, but then also made the sales goals transparent. It wasn't something like, like the executives are the only ones that see it. It's literally the, the stock boy in the back that's making 25 cents an hour or whatever. Like he knows we as a store need to meet this objective. And like yeah. my compensation is directly tied to that. So I, it's not the Love exact that. same thing, but I, I think that that's a really powerful thing of like aligned incentives and, and getting everybody on one page, everybody from the top to the bottom knows what's happening. Incentives are so hard. I don't, let's be honest with you. Like I thought, man, incentives are hard. All I know is I've rolled uh, over 30 incentive plans and whew, it is really hard to get the behavior you're looking for from incentives, even though it seems straightforward, but to your point, aligned incentives are one of the most powerful things you can ever get right. It almost, it reminds me of like, 
like a sleazy car dealership when it comes to like job, like trying to find a job, like when they don't tell you salary. And it reminds me of like a, for the best price, click here. And then you have to put your information in and you got somebody calling you five (laughs) times a day. And it's like, if you just like told me the price of this truck, like I would probably like come down and see it or like call you it. Uh, it it sounds like you've seen a massive return and just being super transparent on your, your, your ads. Is is that, would you say you agree? Yeah. I mean, this is going to be the first one I actually go this deep Uh, like this. I mean, I just literally, I write, I try and journal every day and write something down. Uh, And this popped in my head Saturday or Friday night, I think. Um, And we're writing this job posting. So this will be the first time we're actually post like, Hey, here's the interview process. Um, I want anyone that actually interviews, if you actually, um, if you meet with anyone on Zoom, like anything face-to-face and you don't get the job, you will get feedback. Uh, even if it's one line, even if it's one sentence, like any, you know, something, right? Like we, I believe people deserve that, but salary will be posted. Um, your goals will be posted. What you get out of this will be posted. What we get out of this will be posted. And like the kind of time frame we're thinking about this before we renegotiate the next, like, or, or like uh, set the next tour of duty, because I've done lots of growth plans. Like I really, really care about my people and I've done these personal growth plans. I built my own template. Like I built this whole process. And what I've always found is I'm really good at getting going and really, really bad at following up or having a time bound. Like it's any goal without a date is a dream basically. Um, or any plan without a date is a dream. And so it just became these dreams for all these people where we weren't following up. And so that's why I like this idea of a tour of duty so much is because tour of duties are known to be 18 to 24 months uh, or whatever, you know, like you can say that, but if I'm saying that up front, a tour of duty doesn't mean a title change. That doesn't mean you're getting promoted, uh, necessarily like 40% of the time, probably you'll have a promotion or a title change, but I just love the time bound piece of that. And I just want to have that transparency from day one. So if they can expect that from day one, then that is the expectation, hopefully that they're going to carry for their people and how they drive the culture in the future, uh, through the whole organization. And I think that is just going to be powerful. That I couldn't agree more. I like have nothing else to say about that because that literally just hits home so so strong. And I, I think that it's very easy as an employee, especially in a large organization, to be disgruntled by a lot of things that very easily could be transparent. Why didn't I get that promotion? Why am I not being paid more? Um, you know, th- those are probably the two big ones, but. It's you feel like, like you get lost in the shuffle, you know, yeah. especially like in a, in a big business, you're yeah. Like, just like you said, you, there's so many people that you're like, wait, why is this happening? Or, or what is the overall goal? You're just like, what am I here for to a certain degree? Yeah. They get protected too. So like if I was Zillow now and I'm posting, Hey, a VP of sales, I need you to get us from 25 million to 30 million. You know, like that's, that might be numbers that they don't want to share now, you know, like, because of, for whatever reason, which I can get that, but like, also what the hell is that going to change? I don't like, I just believe that there's, there's far fewer things that actually matter as far as discretion than, than don't like, and if you're building that transparency and that understanding along the way, then the people will, the people that are attracted to it are just going to be incredible and grateful. And they're going to give you more than, you know, anybody else. And so, you know, We'll see how it goes. It's an experiment. Let's see if it blows up in my face. Uh, I bet. I bet we make some good changes here, though. 
I bet you that you do. And uh, worst case scenario, it's a learning experience, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Invaluable. Uh, cool. So we're, we're up through WeWork and we've started talking a little bit about um, you looking to buy businesses, starting your own thing, uh, kind of bring us up to speed with what your, your thought process about buying businesses, uh, kind of give us the rundown. Uh, you, part of the reason I had reached out to you, you have like a really awesome Twitter thread on like losing a bunch of money. I don't know if that's part of that, um, but I think all of those yeah. things would be good to hear about. Yeah. So at WeWork, I actually bought a business. Um, I bought it with my twin brother and, uh, and this is, yeah, this is not one of the winners. Uh, this is one that, that, that blew up in our face pretty significantly, but the, uh, you know, the, the whole premise was you know, even from my MBA, I didn't realize you could just go out and buy like a small business, you know, and, and like, there's like brokerage websites out there. You just, you get on just like you'd buy real estate, and find businesses that you're interested in. You ask for information, you can review financials. So you get to like biz by sell or you get to like quiet light brokerage or, you know, there's a ton of them out microacquire.com. And so there's all these great ways to buy, buy businesses now. And, and so I've just been fascinated with that, fascinated by it. And my brother came with a business that he just thought we could crush because his background is he was an army mechanic in the, the, the army or obviously army mechanic, but he was a heavy, uh, heavy wheel diesel mechanic with the army. And so he's been in fleet maintenance. He's been running like big rigs and shops and maintenance for large construction companies or trucking companies. And he's very, very good at what he does. And so he came across this, uh, this like um, diesel repair shop and fleet maintenance company. And we just thought it was gonna be great. Uh, you know, ultimately we moved, we moved fast on it. We, uh, we, we moved too fast to go do like SBA loan. Uh, he was pressuring me. And, you know, and I was very supportive because he's very good at what he does. So, you know, ultimately we, we pushed through due diligence too fast. The, the seller was better at hiding things than we were at finding things. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we got in this business and it was pretty good. Like we got it for a decent price, had lots of revenue you know, we we're doing probably hundred K a month. And, uh, but we, we had not come in properly capital capitalized either. Cause I think we would have really weathered the storm better if we'd, we'd come in with the right capital. Uh, and then we load ourselves up on like retail debt, I'd say, where, you know, 12 to 15% interest at the time we were going to refinance. We had all these great intentions. But uh, anyways, so like we found out that this guy had been stealing from his customers. Uh, and so my brother, you know, we were, we're just not going to deal, like put up with that. So we went to the customer. We let them know. We managed to overcome that. Um, and then he was trying to steal the employees and like non-compete and, you know, both those things. So we kind of were dealing with those things. We built the loyalty. We treated our guys really well. Um, so we kind of overcame those things. But then in the end, uh, he had kind of falsified the lease and in a way that he changed dates. And, and, uh, and so we thought we had three years on this lease where we we're at, you know, you, you figure diesel repair shop, you need a shop. You got to actually have a shop with bays. And, uh, and so we thought things were going really good. And then the owner of the building reached out and said, Hey, you just getting to know us. And we were having a good conversation, great relationship. And then ultimately he was like, Hey, my family is putting a lot of pressure on me. We think we want to sell. We want to sell to the main tenant of this place. And we're like, Oh, you need to give us time. Like all this stuff. Like we have, we have at least through three years. And he's like, no, you have 30 day notice. That's it. You're on month to month. And, and so we just basically crapped our path, uh, our pants on that one. It's like, okay, why are the documents not lining up? And so we went through the whole kind of review of documents, and all this stuff. Um, and, 
And yeah, they didn't match up. So ultimately we were on a month to month. He gave us 30 30 days notice. And as soon as we informed our largest customers, they basically bailed. Uh, They're like, Hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're just going to move to another, to a competitor. And, uh, and at that point, you know, my brother hadn't taken any money or made any money for those, you know, several months. And, uh, and, you know, with the pressure of his family and, you know, all those things, he, he, he decided to bow out and I was still working full-time at WeWork. So like, this was always a part-time thing for me. I was always just like, I thought I was mostly just the money and, uh, and I let us, you know, not do things right. If I'm honest, it's like, it's completely on me. I'd love to just say it's all on this unscrupulous like seller, but it's on me. It's on my brother. Like we failed, we didn't do things we should have. And, uh, and we paid for it. So I think I lost over 150 K on that one. You know, most of my cash life savings was gone. Um, that one really, really, really hurt. And I took a huge, I mean, this is the worst part. Like I took a huge hit credibility wise with my wife and, uh, and his wife, I mean, pretty much despising me at this point, like will politely deal with me and that's about it, you know? And so, you know, that is, uh, that's the downside, you know, like that's a crappy piece. That's why like people tell you don't do business with family, but I'll tell you what, like my brother's awesome. And I would, I would invest in him and again in a second as an individual, like maybe his whole family situation would not suggest me doing that, but like he very good at what he does. And so, uh, I do it again in a second. I love that guy. We're still super close. Um, I ain't letting that shit get in the way. So, uh, that's the, that's the crappy version. That's what happens when you get it wrong. <laughs> so you, you said something there that I think is super powerful and it, and it says a lot about you as a leader is it was my fault. Like despite this seller lying to you and falsifying paperwork and all this stuff, you, you're taking ownership of it, which I think is, that's massive for, for a leader just in life, right? Is like, it's, it was my fault. Like I should have looked into it. Um, so like I said, that says a lot about you as a leader. The, my question is, is that normal? Like when, when you're starting out and you're buying businesses, do you have to like really dive in or is, is that like an everyday thing or is this it's kind like of like a one-off everything thing? went wrong? Possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, due diligence wise, I mean, and, and that's the hard part is like, I know better on some of this stuff, you know, and we just move so fast. You get so excited. You see the joy in your, like your sibling, who's one of your best friends, you know, and like that caught up. And I didn't have enough time or energy to do it right. And that's on me. But like uh, for real estate, uh, as an example, you'd go get something, I, I believe it's called an estoppel. You go get that sign. And it's basically verifying the validity of the lease terms with the landlord to say like, hey, this business is being sold. Ownership and responsibility for the lease terms are being passed to a new entity, um, which is essentially a sublease. Is this all good? And uh, shame on me, like shame on me. I have a real estate background. That one is, that one is absolutely on me, you know? And so, um, but the, yes, due diligence is, it is a, it is an art is what it is because, um, at the end of the day, like you can, you can kill every deal you want to through due diligence, every one of them, you know, so you have to, you have to figure out what level of risk you want to assume. So like, for instance, we just bought, I bought another business recently with, uh, my two friends that I did the property management company with. And, you know, like the guy's like a blue collar guy, he knows his business incredibly well, but he doesn't have all the reports and all the financials the way that maybe a more sophisticated buyer or like a finance background person might want where it's like, oh, I need to see it 
I need to see this view of it and it needs to be this way. And I want, I want these 15 different reports. And he's just gonna tell you, uh, I gave you the five reports, it's all you're getting. If you want more, then I'm just gonna go to this other buyer. What do you wanna do? You know, and like, um, so it really is an art of like how much do you press and how much risk are you willing to take on? So uh, I learned a lot on getting that wrong for with my brother and uh, more so about, you know, making sure we had a, a, an acceptable level of risk for this new business that we bought. That's a very powerful lesson there. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I think that buying businesses like this in this format is something that's drastically underfollowed and not talked about as enough. Um, we have like really the, the glamorized like entrepreneurship, like, oh, I'm going to, especially you worked at WeWork, like anything in the tech industry is like, oh, I'm going to oh, yeah. do this startup. I'm going to go raise all this money and like do this fancy thing. But like, there are so many like small and medium-sized businesses that are run by older people that are looking to retire. Maybe, I don't know if that was the case with any of yours, but a lot of people that just, and, and especially that aren't running their businesses in the most efficient way possible. You know, they're still running stuff on facts and it's not electronic. There's all these opportunities yep. to kind of optimize businesses and whatnot. Um, so I, I think that it's cool that you're doing that and people should be aware that that's an option uh, career-wise. And you mentioned a couple of the places that you uh, look for businesses that are for sale. Could you talk a little bit about the, the money involved? Uh, you said that you moved too quick for an SBA, um, a small business loan. I, I, forget, I don't know what the exact, small business administration, I think. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I don't know what the time frame for those loans is. Could you talk a little bit about that? Talk about what you guys did and maybe some differences, pros, cons of each. Yeah, I think, um, okay, so I, I can give you my brother example and then the, the new company. So my brother's example, I don't know if we could have used SBA or not, actually. I'm trying to remember some of the constraints on that. I've honestly kind of flocked out a Blacked little bit of out. the, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. I literally was texting my brother because I did share that. I shared like a Twitter thread about it because, you know, every everything's glam on Twitter. And I was like, okay, this isn't real life. Um, and so I was like texting my brother. I'm like, oh, remind me what, like, what, what was this or what happened here and on some of the things. And so um because he lit like he truly lived it and i was i felt like i was more in the audience in a lot of ways because i had we work still full-time which is just like all consuming in itself but um the i don't know if that business had been around long enough for us to use sba so for anyone that doesn't know sba small business administration is um is a federal entity that helps uh provide underwriting criteria basically uh to let people buy businesses. So you can buy businesses for less money down than you normally would expect. So for instance, like 10% is about, is pretty normal through SBA versus if you just went through a bank, they're gonna expect 20 to 40% down. Um, so that that's the difference, SBA. And so they back you and they, they give a, guarantee, a government guarantee behind that loan. So if you default, the bank still gets its money. So that's the beauty of SBA. Um, so we end up doing like, man, we did like all the worst thing you could do. We got like personal unsecured loans at like 12%. We, um, you know, we were just as creative as possible to get this thing done. Cause we figured, Hey, if we move fast enough on it, we'll get it done. And then we'll just refinance out, you know, 90 days in 120 days in, get like much better financing. Well, it turns out like we made it about 120 days and then we fire sailed the company basically. 
because uh, that's that's when it blew up. Uh, so that's that one. Like didn't didn't quite make it. So the new one we did buy. We bought it for four hundred k. We put fifty five thousand dollars in altogether. You know, so fifty five k being um, for the loan itself, and then we also got a hundred k line of credit. So end up being like a you know, what, $355,000 loan or no, excuse me, $405,000 loan uh, between uh, the line of credit and the actual loan. And then we put our down payment in. So, so not bad for buying a business that has over a million in revenue and we put in 55K, you know, so that's what we got. And to your point, he was retiring. The owner was retiring. This is an HVAC business uh, in North Fort Worth. And, uh, and to your point, like over the next, I think 10 or 15 years, there's gonna be a $9 trillion transfer of wealth of baby boomer businesses either being sold or, uh, or given away or just dissolved because they don't want to do business anymore. So incredible opportunity over the next decade to, to, to kind of be an uh, acquisition entrepreneur, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that's um, really incredible. And like I said, I think something that's drastically under talked about and maybe less glamorous, but when you think about it, the amount of risk that's involved, I mean, you highlighted some of the the very large risks when it comes to due diligence. But when you're talking about a business that you can physically see, you walk into it, we see that they're already doing a million dollars in revenue. They You've already got traction and it's up to you to uh, kind of scale or maybe just maintain it and just take it over and whatever. Can you talk about why you think that maybe you're uniquely equipped or why somebody would be uniquely equipped to buy rather than maybe start their own business? Yeah. I mean, this is some soul searching and it's uh, I think my ego pops up a little more often than I'd like in, in like my own self-discovery in this journey. But uh, cause I want to say like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a zero to one kind of guy. And I can do that but I'm not as good at that as I am at making something better. You know? And so like, I think that's a realization of like, I am much better coming in, assessing something and knowing exactly which levers to pull to make it better, to double it, to triple it or whatever, and, and really go, you know, where, where we need to go. And so uh, versus zero to one, like you're starting from absolute scratch, you know, so from like setting up email to building the website to, you know, answering every phone call, figuring out how you answer phone calls, to, you know, like that's just harder. It takes a lot of energy to get to that million dollars uh, range first. So, you know, for some people, I think the right question is like, why, why, why would I do that when I could go buy something for that already has a million dollars in revenue and just learn it from someone who's already done it and then build on top of that from what I know, you know, so like, I know I have plenty to offer as far as leadership and operations. I'm an operator. That's who I am. Um, and then like very, very customer oriented, you know, so, uh, between those two things, those three things, and then like technology, I love technology. I swear half the reason I want to buy companies is just go see all the cool tech and SaaS products and stuff out there, uh, to make things more efficient. But, uh, that is, I think a huge opportunity for people. So do you want to start from scratch and do every little thing until you can hire someone else and have revenue? Or would you rather buy a business that's large enough that you could have a general manager and you're really just guiding it? you know, overall, as you learn the business and pay off the debt. I feel like this is like, got me super excited. And this is exactly why Brock and I wanted to do this podcast in part of it might just be because I'm, I'm an idiot. I didn't realize you could like literally take out a loan to acquire a business. 
Like that, yeah. that's, that's crazy to me. So if somebody gets out and they're like, no, I think buying a business is way more appealing. I think I have the skill for it. Where do you start and how much capital are, are we talking for, for an average business? I know you said 10% with an SBA loan. I mean, what's the first move and on average, like how much, how much coin are we talking? Okay. So, I mean, lots of, lots of, uh, it depends answers there, but, uh, sure. I can give you some, some rough guidance. Okay. So a couple, I'll give you a couple of quick shout outs too. So if you guys like veterans who are doing, uh, like buying businesses or doing cool things like that, if you're not following, uh, I believe it's at Sam T Leslie, uh, he's awesome. He's also bought a plumbing and HVAC company in Colorado. And then there's uh, rich, I believe it's rich Jordan. Um, He's also, so Sam was an army officer. Rick was a, a Marine Corps officer and they just, they have, they're always dropping great knowledge, but they also have bought businesses and they're buying even more right now. And it just goes to show military veterans are people that people want to invest in. Um, okay. And then there's a whole movement here called search funding. Um, so you can go to searchfunder.com. These are literally people that there's two types of searches. There's a self-funded search and then there's a funded search. And mostly these, this, this came out of like, I think Stanford where they, it's basically all these MBAs and trying to figure out other alternatives to investment banking or consulting, or like, what's another career path outside of a, like a prestigious MBA. And so this idea of a search fund came out where uh, there's investment companies out there that will invest in you, uh, t- you know, Tim per se, and, uh, and give you $250,000 to search for two years for a business. And then when you buy that business, um, they will invest in the business as well to let you actually acquire. It. And then you'll run it as CEO uh, and they'll take, you know, they'll take what percent, you know, some percentage of it. Uh, and then you'll have some percentage of it. Uh, and, and like, that's what search funding is, you know, so there's opportunities where you don't necessarily have to, they would prefer you, you put some of your own capital in, but you know, sometimes that's just really like, Hey, whatever your net worth is, I want to see at least 30% of it in this business. Uh, other people, I might be like, Hey, if you're not putting a hundred grand in, I'm not interested. You know, so that's search funding. There's so many resources. That's a great place to start. Um, you go to like Stanford's search fund website or whatever, search that. And they have just everything you want to know. They have details and stats and all that stuff. So that's search funding. Um, and then there's self-funded search where you're, it's, it's exactly as it sounds like you just keep looking on your own. Um, ideally you've quit your job and you're full-time searching for a business to acquire, now, most of the time, these people are wanting like a million dollars in EBITDA and which on average will put you around five to, let's say five to $7 million in revenue. Um, the limitations of SBA, if you're to go that route is 5 million in revenue. So like they only do loans for small businesses. And that is the threshold that they've established is 5 million for an individual. Uh, that's how much of a loan they'll give you. doesn't mean you can't get a loan for a bigger business, but that's all the SBA will back. So you could get, you buy a $7 million business, 5 million is backed by the SBA. And then the other 2 million, you have to put a bigger down payment on because it's not backed by the SBA. So there's all kinds of opportunities out there if you want to do this. But um, once you get like in that million EBITDA range, like the multiples of EBITDA, that's how they value companies. So like a million dollar EBITDA company would probably go for like five to 7 million, honestly. Uh, depending, maybe, maybe a little bit less could be more. Um, but then you start getting like these big institutional funds start to get interested at like the 2 million EBITDA, 3 million EBITDA. So it just depends on like, how are they valued? 
where can I get loans for? So if I were to suggest to a veteran coming out, I'd be looking for something uh, a little bit smaller, like go find something that you could buy for, you know, with a million in revenue. I, I'd say a million in revenue is a great threshold as long as it has like a 20% margin. Um, then you should be buying that for between 400 and probably 900,000. So that means you're putting in 50 to 100K and, uh, and then you probably want another 50 to 100K in working capital. So you might be able to get the loan, like the line of credit we got was part of working capital. That's the whole reason they gave it to us. Um, and then they also gave us a loan for 37,000 and just like straight up cash working capital. So I gave them 55K in cash and then they gave me 37K in cash right back to say, oh, here's your working capital. So, um, so it's really great. And you'd be surprised at how many people are willing to fund these kinds of things because man, there's great businesses out there. Great businesses. Literally the first, I think the first week I was on Twitter, someone reached out and was like, hey, you're the kind of person in business I would love to uh, invest in. And I was like, I haven't even met you. I, I just told right. oh, my only thread, my only thread is the one where I just screwed up with my brother and lost 150K. <laughs> so uh, people love looking for good people that they like working with and they will invest. Wow. Not to get too financy here. I know that you're an MBA. Uh, I have a finance background. Um, can you give us like basic breakdown of like how multiples work in that small, small and medium sized business? Uh, what is, yeah. you know, you talked about EBITDA multiple, what are like acceptable ranges? Uh, Cause I know that there, a lot of these businesses are they maybe have high capital expenditure requirements or high working capital. They're physical properties. It's, we're not talking uh, software as a service or anything here. Um, yeah. What kind of multiples should we be looking at uh, when it comes to these businesses and like what's reasonable? Yeah, I would say, okay, let's just, we'll, we'll hone in on like the, the home service businesses. So that's like plumbing, HVAC, electrical, you know, painting, you know, like roofing, whatever you want on a home service business. Frankly, most most businesses um, that are this size, like anything around a million dollars in revenue or less, um, or even a little bit bigger, like you can expect kind of like a three to five X range. So multiple is just a fancy way of saying like, hey, how much profit did you get? EBITDA, like earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So EBITDA, if you make a hundred thousand in EBITDA every year, what's my business worth? Well, it's worth three to five times that, depending on a lot of things. So like. The things that will contribute to it being a five versus a three would be, hey, we just grew 100% last year and we still managed to have 20% margins. Well, that's damn impressive. Okay. Uh, I might be getting something even more valuable here and I just need to keep the momentum going. So I'd be willing to pay for maybe a four or four and a half or a five X. So um, that's all multiples are is just whatever uh, EBITDA is. The other term you might hear as a, as a replacement for EDIA EBITDA is SDE, so seller's discretionary earnings, which just basically means whoever owns a business right now, how much money did they have discretion to use? Like, are they charging um, their brand new boat to the business and their brand new Escalade? And like, what discretion do they have? And uh, when they say discretion, that means when the business passes over to you, you would have that same amount of money. So if seller's discretionary earnings was $200,000, uh, when we buy the business, I would expect to have $200,000 and then your multiple would be based off of that. So three to five X. So anywhere from 600 K I'd buy this business to a uh, million 
a million dollars, I'd buy this business. You know, and so it just depends on what your criteria is because at the end of the day, you the things that you'll be paying for that they didn't have to potentially is an SBA loan now. You know, and so you want to make sure you actually have cash after an SBA loan because EBITDA does not include your loan payments. That's why it's uh, for a lot of people, it's not a term that they care about that much. They just want to know how much cash do I have after all my bills. But for valuing a business, it's really important because when you sell that business, it's going to pay off all the debt anyways. So like the debt doesn't matter. Um, so you, it's just all about how much cash you have before the debt. So uh, so that's it. SDE or EBITDA is how most small businesses are, are, um, are valued. And the one other opportunity that you have is you can put your own money in, you can use other people's money, you can obviously use a bank loan, and then the seller themselves can also be a loan. So they can give you what's called seller financing, where maybe they let you purchase the business and just pay them back over five years or 10 years or, or some portion of that. You know, For instance, our HVAC business, I believe the seller gave us 10% of the business was seller financing. So he gave us, excuse me, an extra loan for $40,000 that would pay back over five years. And I, I think that depending on how creative you want to get with your, the structure of like the, the purchase, you probably could maybe get, like you said, partial seller financing. If you were coming into this and said, hey, I want to buy a business, but I have no money, you probably could arrange it to where the seller would give you financing for the 10% that you need to put down for the SBA <laughs> loan. Is that, can you do that? It's, uh, they become a lot more strict on that. So to fulfill the down payment for SBA, probably not. They usually require, they want to see cash in hand. They just want to see like a real effort there. Um, it can help a, a seller financing can help where you could actually get down to 5% down payment. And that's the cash you actually have to provide. So it just depends. You have to ask, those are the questions you got to ask. And this is why you talk to multiple lenders as well because SBA uh, loans are not bound to one bank. So you could talk to three different banks and they actually have different criteria uh, or offerings, you know, like just like negotiating. Hey, I'm willing to give you that million dollar loan for 5% uh, interest rate over 10 years and you only have to put 5% down. But these guys, you know, bank number two wants you to put 10% down at a 6% rate. You know, like it just depends. So talk to multiple banks, talk to lots of people, ask lots of questions. Go on searchfunder.com. That's a great place to like learn a lot and hear other people who are buying businesses. Um, follow SMB attorney on Twitter. The guy is freaking a rock star and he'll tell you uh, he's been sharing uh, like a masterclass for, for buying businesses. Uh, what a great LOI, like a letter, uh, letter of intent looks like, how to contract. Um, he just gives out incredible <laughs> advice. And so uh, all the resources are out there for you to be successful if you want to be successful and are willing to put in the work. Very cool. The last question that I have about the the SMB purchases and whatnot is, you talked earlier about the things that you bring to the table. You're you're an operator. You've got the leadership, uh, the the tech savvy, all of these things that you're bringing to the table. And maybe you can talk about this with your most recent purchase. But what are the first things that you're doing after you buy this business? You they hand you over the keys what are the first couple things that you are doing? And because I'm guessing they're going to be like, how do we get more efficient fast? Like, you know, you've already got this base to me. That's my first thought is, okay, let's not maybe worry about growing super fast right now. Let's just try and optimize where we're at is, do you take that same approach and, or what other things are you doing uh, right when you walk in? 
Okay, I'm very cautiously optimistic about efficiency and growth, um, but I can tell you the most important thing is the people. Just go, you need to build trust and retain the people more than anything. That is the most important thing. So like screw the efficiency, screw everything else. If you don't keep the people, then you don't have the business anymore. So uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'd say that's where you spend all your time. So if that means you're in attics in freaking the summer of Texas with your technicians because you got two technicians and they bring in all the revenue for the company, then that's where you're going to be. That's where I'm going to be. That's where you need to be. Um, you know, for a little bit, like show them that they can trust you, show them that you're willing to put in the work, that you're willing to listen uh, because they have great ideas. They know more, they far, know far more about the business than you ever will uh, in so many ways. And so just listen, learn what you can from them, build trust. And I think that's the most important thing you can do uh, right off. And then you're, you're juggling also the tremendous amount of administrative transitionary tasks. So like you only get 30 days usually with an owner um, that is part of the deal. So like when you pay the price, you get 30 days of kind of free consulting. And I got to tell you, like some of that stuff is just mind numbingly painful. Uh, I think we spent 20, I, I say we, it's mostly Scott, who's my partner, but he probably spent like 26 hours um, just transitioning one phone line. That's it. Just, just, just porting over a number, trying to get a hold of one freaking phone number uh, business line to our, you know, for us to own it, you know, and then you figure, Hey, like HVAC, these guys have, you have the brand of air conditioning that you sell. So that's for us as carrier. So that one's relatively easy. And that's one account, but like all the supply houses. So you use like 20 different supply houses based on where we are in DFW. So building an account with every single one of those and making sure that they know you and actually getting credit. And then, uh, and then signing over like the rest of the freaking um, phone numbers and the cell phones. And like, we're still trying to figure out, uh, we have multiple iPhones that we own now that are work phones that have uh, old uh, Apple ID accounts that we can't get into and figure out. And so like, they can't download the freaking new apps that we need them to download because we want to be so efficient and we can't do it because, you know, shitty processes before that like we're having to deal with now. So yes, we have lots of processes that we're putting in place, but I will tell you the appetite for change, man, you have to, you have to have your, your, your thumb on that constantly because you want to change everything and they don't want you to change anything for the most part. I'll tell you our team and, and they have been incredible. Uh, we have changed some things. Like I changed the website right away because we needed to. Um, and then we're changing like our CRM type, like uh, um, dispatching software, all that stuff as well. Uh, but we did that talking with the guys, trying to figure out, hey, like, are you guys okay with this? Have you used this before? What's your appetite? Building trust first. And so um, they, I believe, have built into like our vision of where we're going. And they have been a part of building that vision too. Like, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Don't do that. And it's like, okay, okay, why? Like, just share, share more with me so I understand. So um, I tell you, people first, people always like start with the people every single day. Um, and that will take you very far. And then the people will help you with the efficiency. It's no longer just Brock going after efficiency. It's the people saying like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? I'm like, yeah, I have thought about doing that. And uh, and like, why don't you just do it then? And and so like, we're empowering the people to, to start making those changes. If you see an opportunity to do better and that you can make it better tomorrow, do it. Just do it. Let's see what we learn from it. And uh, let us know so we can document the process, but just go for it. Like, I'm, I don't know if I know better than you. So that's my, my piece on like change management's hard and it takes far, it takes two to three times longer than you ever think it's going to. 
And just, I, this is probably something that I should have asked like way before. Did you know anything about HVAC before this? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. my whole background is like facility management, property management. So I've led skilled trades, plumbers, electricians, HVAC guys for years. Um, and so like, I'm dangerous enough to, you know, to, to fix, like a, I can swap out a fan motor or change a capacitor or like figure out maybe the very, very simple things. Uh, I could certainly learn the rest. Do I have a huge interest in learning all the rest? No, I have a huge interest in the guys trusting me and knowing that I'll work hard. Yes. But, uh, you know, so that's like um, big piece. Do you need to, you don't need to know anything about it. It helps. It certainly helps with credibility and how fast you learn. But um, if you're, if you're just showing that you're a servant leader and you're willing to do anything to, to, to help your guys and gals and, and make them successful and you actually care about them and you listen to them, then you'll be fine. I think that that stretches uh, far beyond just this case, uh, but it sounds like that's your rapport and like getting that early buy-in is probably your most fundamental thing right out of the gate. After, after, because yeah, people aren't going anywhere, or or if they do, then you're not going to have much value left. You know, they've created it. Yeah. What's the uh, what does the end game look like for you? So it sounds like you've made multiple acquisitions. Um, are, are they all separate? Are they all kind of in the same home services space? What is, yeah, so uh, we, what does five years look like from now for you? We have, we just have one acquisition right now. So it's just an HVAC company. Um, the, 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 the one I did with my brother, I sold or we sold. Um, but the, we're actually, we're in the process of trying to buy another company, a plumbing company, ideally. So trying to add the skilled trades, so plumbing, electrical, and HVAC, that's what I'd consider the, the most skilled trades. Uh, so we're trying to get all those, but ultimately we're actually building a tech company on top of that uh, called Homework. And that is that is like the big, you know, swing for the fences uh, idea that we're, we're going after. And like a really quick premise of that is basically how do we, uh, do you, either of you own homes? Yeah, we both, we both do. do. Okay, you both own homes. So have you, in that pursuit of uh, owning a home, have you ever wondered like, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, how often should I be changing air filters or uh, should I be getting a tune up on my HVAC like right now? Or do you have to do that every year? Or what's up with that? Or um, dude, I always forget to freaking put down the weed killer every year. And I got, I got freaking weeds for days and all my grass and just wondering when that is or wondering, Hey, like what the hell is that? what's that paint color in my freaking office? I have no idea what that is. And so uh, the idea here is um, homework, which is our company could solve that for you. Homework is meant to be the operating system for your home. And, and the idea being we gather data about your home and, and by doing that, then we're able to make home management easier for you. So instead of always worrying about homework, you get to worry about home life. And, and, uh, and so that might look like, Hey, sending Tim a text saying, Hey, Tim, are you ready for that? Like walk barefoot in the grass grass this year? Well, if you are uh, just sign up for a subscription for, for uh, you know, for annual fertilizer and we'll send it to you exactly when you're supposed to put it down um, or just click here and have us come do it for you. We'll come take care of it for you. Um, which one would you like to do? And, and then another example would be, Hey, uh, the last time our guys came out to fix your HAC, they took down your serial number, model number and all that stuff. And the next time you have a problem with it, you can just FaceTime with us and we'll troubleshoot it with you over FaceTime. So we don't even have to come out and maybe we fix it. 
uh, or if there's something wrong, we already know what you have. So I could give you a quote instantly on the phone say like, hey, it's gonna be, be $9,800 to replace your whole system, furnace and outside unit. Um, does that sound interesting? Do you wanna do that? Like, let's talk through it. And then if you say yes, then it's one visit. I don't have to come out one time. We've already talked about it. We're super transparent on pricing. And uh, and so we're gonna do that. So it'll, it'll kind of uh, have a timeline for everything that's ever happened in your house if you want it to. So like, you just text a number with an invoice from your plumbing company and I'll just throw it in the timeline for you. Um, you can share renovation photos in there on the timeline. Uh, we will, all our companies will send our invoice to that portal for you. So it's, that will be our other hook of, um, if our HVAC company did service with you, it's like, hey, if you want all your history for your home, Tim, uh, we sent your, your invoice in there, all the information you need is gonna be in there along with everything else. And so the more info you put in there, the easier life is. Um, so that is the, the really quick and dirty on homework. What a cool idea. Yeah, like, that's a really cool idea. I imagine like it's, it's Carfax for your home. Uh, like <laughs> in addition to like, not only are you becoming a better homeowner and like taking care of the, the things that like you own, which I really resonate with because um, if for whatever reason, the person that I bought the, or me and my fiance bought this home from, uh, is listening, fuck you. <laughs> uh, because there are so many things that like, you know, just, they aren't taken care of uh, you. It sounds like lived in Norfolk, uh, which is where I live. And uh, this yeah, area yeah. is just, it's beat, you know, yeah. nobody takes care of their thing. They're in for a few years and then out. And so one, not only is that cool where you can like take better care of the things you own, if you're going to spend $300,000 on a home, you should probably take care of it. Um, and then also it's a plug for the business, you know, it plugs you in with somebody that's knowledgeable and uh, isn't going to rip you off. And then I would imagine that would be so valuable on the backside too, when you go to sell your home, like, look, I have literally records and the company that did this work and like, here's who was responsible for it. And like, that's so cool. I love that. You love it. Uh, so we're, we are working on the tech side of that right now and hoping to shoot out uh, like a, our, our beta users, like MVP in March, uh, by, by early March, hopefully late February, but uh, trying to get the first testers of it and see how it goes. Uh, we've tested a lot of different pieces of it kind of through the HAC company, but we're really excited for, for that to see how it goes. Very cool. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> if I could just like get a text message like, hey, Tim, uh, you need to change your filter or, you know, it's it's April, you need to fertilize your lawn. I'm like a big, I like just, I am feel like I'm so busy all the time that like I have a company that comes and like aerates my lawn and like puts fertilizer down and it'd just be so, that's so convenient to just be like, oh yeah, that's like, just book that. Perfect. And then move on about my day. I really like that. <laughs> That's the premise, man. Uh, one of our other hooks on that is we are going to invite, I don't know how many people we can do because it's a little expensive, but uh, I know the first hundred, first hundred users we're going to do, we're going to give you a free 3D model of your home. So like uh, wow. it'll literally like you just go out and take eight pictures of your home and we'll, uh, our partner will put together a full like 3D model where you can change the roofing and the siding and the brick and like all that stuff. Um, so that's what you get. I, what I get as the company is I get all the, the measurements. I get everything. So I could tell you uh, if you wanted like some of those sexy, I don't know if you guys have seen like the sexy new kind of like black outlined windows, black framed windows these days, they're, they're, they're great looking on new homes. Um, and you wanted some of those, like I could, I could quote you right there in the portal to say, Hey, it's going to cost you like 
18 grand to replace those. You know, is that something you're interested in? Would you like financing? When do you want to do it? Let's go. You know, and you never even had to come like leave your house or get a hard sales pitch because all window sales is going to be a hard sales pitch pretty much. Like as soon as you let them pass that front door, you know, you're, you're going to get the hard pitch. And so, I don't know, that's, we're fascinated with how do we make this easier for people and, and, um, and really empower you to be uh, better homeowners and like living better lives uh, through homeownership. I, once this company blows up, I may need to keep my wife off of that because I could just see every month, like, babe, look what our house would look like with, with a black <laughs> roof. It's like, Oh, <laughs> no, that's your target market is the, uh, yes, absolutely. The stay at home moms, you know, engagement, uh, man, got, got to oh, have yeah. something that keeps them engaged. Um, but imagine to your point, Brock, being able to have kind of like a buyer's portal where you could look at a house and like figure out, Hey, it's how much would it cost me to replace this roof and change out the HVAC and fix this? Because I walked through and that, that like that whole foundation or the pier and beam in that room is shit. So I need to, I know I need to fix that and have like at least ballparks of what it would cost um, yeah. for a house. You know, so. Just to kind of like start to close out here, what are some big learnings and maybe some, big struggles that you've had maybe before or still as a veteran and just kind of the, the professional space, what are, what are your big takeaways since your, your exit that other people would learn from? And then maybe what's something that you're still, you're still struggling with? Yeah, I think there's this interesting dynamic of, I, I don't know the right word for it. I don't want to say entitlement, but it feels a little bit like entitlement. Like I'm a veteran help me, you know, I deserve help, you know, uh, give me that job, give me that chance. And I think that, uh, I think service members really need to let go of that. I, I think that was one of my bigger learnings of like, people don't really care. They, they just don't. And then I don't mean that in a, in like a really bad way. I just mean that people have so much to worry about themselves, you know, and everyone's going through their life where they're the main character, not Brock the veteran or Tim the veteran or Nate the veteran, right? You know, and if you think about that, if everyone's the, the lead character of their own life and their own story, then you know it's so like it's so impressive when others are willing to give their time to help others, right? And I think um you use the veteran piece as much as you can. And what I've learned is it will get you mostly people willing to have a conversation. That's about the only thing that I've found it to be super valuable on of of hey, I'm a veteran, or I notice you're a vet, I'm a vet too. Can I get a combo? Uh, can I get like my foot in the door a little bit? And and so I think for anyone that thinks they're going to get a job because they were you know an E7, E8, or an O4, and they were in the military and they're just going to get a great job, like I think that has been I've learned over and over and over again that that is not true. That's not true. Like they don't really care. They say they care, but they don't really care. And uh, and the best example I'll give you: Lockheed loves their veterans, and I absolutely believe that. But I went up for promotion for a manager job one time, and they did not count any of my leadership experience um, from the military as leadership experience. You know, and that just goes to show that, like, I mean, what? I mean, right. I, I don't, I don't even know how to, I didn't even know how to respond to that. If I'm honest, like, it was the most angry I ever was at that company, and uh, and so, you know people don't care as much as you think they would on that. Um, the other piece is like, there's so many great things you learn in the military that you don't realize. Uh, there's this concept that I love. Uh, I, I think Amazon kind of has pioneered it, but it's called disagree commit. And think about all the orders you got in the, in the Navy or uh, that you did not agree with. 
you know, not ethically, like ethically, that's a different thing, right? That's, uh, you have the moral courage to stand up to that. But, you know, there's plenty of stuff I was told to do that I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't want to do this, but I did it anyways, right? And I did it because I was supposed to. And then you go out in the real world or in the civilian world and you're just like, man, uh, I got to actually like put my input in sometimes. And they still didn't agree with me, but I'm just glad someone listened to me in the first place, you know? And so uh, I love that. And I love um, sharing that with my team. Like, I always want to hear their ideas. The idea that I have all the answers, man, like you're wrong. I'm wrong. Like, I don't have all the answers. Um, but I do make it very clear for people, like who has the decision, uh, who gets to make the decision. Cause I'll say, guys, if it's my decision at the end, we may all disagree here. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but at the end of the day, I got to make the call because this is my call. If it's your call and we disagree, you get to make the call. Great. I'm not going to be mad about that. No ego. Like let's, let's get this done. Uh, let's get better tomorrow. And so I think that's another one. And then lastly, like find your community, find your community, find people that you can talk to, find people that make you feel great about who you are. Um, and there's just nothing better than that. And so if that's, you know, like, I feel like I've found a little bit of one in the SMB world with Twitter. Um, I'm blown away. I've been on there for like 75 days and I can't believe how many people I've met from it and how much it's impacted my life, both personally and business-wise already. Um, I did it in college. Those uh, two of the people that are partners with me at the company right now, both came from the football team that I worked for, from making that decision, you know? And so lifelong friends, hell yeah. Uh, so find your community, make those friends and, uh, and then just do it. Like freaking take the risk, do the thing you will far, uh, you'll regret far more not taking the opportunity than, uh, than taking the opportunity and failing because failure, man, is meant to be embraced. It's just, uh, it's just another word for learning if, uh, if you have the right attitude and, you know, I've already bought another business, even though I failed miserably the first time and it will not be the last time. And I would do it again with my brother in a second. Like, um, so I just say like, don't worry about failing. People love it. Uh, share it just as happy as your, your biggest moments. And, uh, and you'd be surprised at the people that flock to you. That's all really, really, really good and very powerful. Uh, and then I guess something that maybe you're still struggling with, I, uh, if you are struggling with anything, I'm just kind of curious from like a military aspect or, or not. Yeah. Even. I, I would say the, I mean, there's still the stigma, there's, there's, there's stigma out there on mental health. Um, you know, and I wrote a post about this a long time ago on LinkedIn and, and I just remember like, I wake up sometimes feeling, uh, like there's a weight on my chest. Like there's like a sense, like just a unbelievable sense of impending doom. And, you know, like, I, I don't know how to overcome that all the time. Uh, and, and so the reason I shared that then was because the CEO who I worked for at the time, you know, she, I think had articulated it better than I'd heard most people. And she just said, Hey, like, Hey, you gotta understand I am, she is a classic founder. She is go, go, go. She's incredible where she has what she calls her down like cycles and she's got to step away. She doesn't want to care about the details. She just is struggling to be present and, and all those things. And so uh, I have those same things um, where it's just like, I have this weight on my chest. I feel like there's just doom. Um, I don't want to get out of bed. And, uh, and then I do, you know, and so like at the end of the day, I hope, you know, everyone here has a chance to make that decision and get out of bed and, or whatever their version of that is, uh, and talk to someone because there's nothing wrong with telling people that you're struggling or that you, uh, that you failed at something or, 
that you hate your current situation and you want to make it better. So I just want you to know that it's not unique. Um, there's far more people going through it than you think, and there's lots of people here to help you. Good stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I couldn't have said it better there. We were talking about it in our last interview, but there's not a lot of people other than other veterans that are really looking out for you, um, is kind of the, the sad part of it is a lot of, uh, surface and kind of political stuff banter out there, but, um, yeah. you know, really finding your community, like you mentioned, and being able to lean on those people when you need, uh, help in whatever fashion, I, I think that that's valuable. Uh, Tim, do you got anything else? No, no, this has been, this has been awesome. Super informative. Uh, definitely an eye opener for me on, you know, buying businesses and that kind of thing. I, that's a really cool idea. Definitely something that I'm going to personally look into, but other than yeah. that, no, Nate, I appreciate you coming on, dude. This was, this was a lot of fun. Oh, so thank you for taking the time out of your day. Yeah, it's it a privilege. Thank you so much for letting me just share a little bit of my story. And uh, you know, Tim, by all means, send me a text. Uh, we'll, I'll do a call with you, whatever you want, for uh, yeah. helping you, you know, look at businesses or even where to start. And I mean, I'm sure Brock's pretty pretty smart on the, the finance side, so I'm sure he can tell you numbers and stuff. But uh, yeah, happy to help any way I can. No, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Where can, uh, just real quick, if people are interested, if they want to follow along with you, uh, contact info, Twitter, your company's website, whatever you want to throw out there, people. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, the main two like social medias that I do is Twitter. I'm at Nate Lenahan uh, and Nate is spelled N in the number eight. I have just so much street cred. So that's why that's Nate Lenahan. Um, <laughs> it doesn't get harder than and, that. <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. So just trying to share stories about leadership and business and just uh, give people a peek into what it, what it takes to build something that you're proud of and, and that gives you purpose and, and like drive and motivation and, uh, and, and the failures along the way. So I'm an open book. If you ever want to reach out, have questions, I'll tr do my best to answer. I try to answer everything, um, but I'm, I'm human and I, I miss them too. Well, this has been fantastic. Nate, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks so much, guys.